for the uh, professionals to take over. The amateurs have left the field. The ball has been dusted off. Howard Cosell has furled his banners. And once again, it's time for the pros to come on the scene. James, we can dispense with that for tonight, okay? That's enough. We'll save it for a little bit later. Uh, I'm going to do a, a, a very uh, personal and unusual show tonight. I hope all my shows are unusual, and I can guarantee you all of them are personal, but uh, this is a, a, a particularly uh, personal, and it's about a, an old friend who just passed on. I imagine many of you listeners uh, have heard Although, you know, strangely enough, I, I find that in a, in a big radio station like New York, New York's uh, WOR or, or NBC or WNEW, that many people who listen, let's say, in the morning or in the afternoon to a station never hear that station at night, or vice versa. A lot of people listen at night to a station, never hear it in the daytime. So maybe many of you... Uh, who listen at night, uh, don't know or didn't know, although it would be hard to believe, the work of Marion Young, uh, who had the name, uh, used the air name on WOR for many, many years. How many years was it? 32 years. Uh, every morning at 10.15 on WOR, she used the name of Martha Dean. And uh, the reason I would like to do a show about uh, Marion or Martha, whichever you prefer, she died here uh, day before yesterday. Or was it yesterday? It was yesterday, yeah. She died yesterday, and uh, she was a great and good friend of mine for a long, well, as long as I've been here. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Uh, she was a very, very unusual woman. Now, people always say that about people when they have passed on. Uh, it's kind of a convention to say that, really. You know, they always talk about the great qualities of uh, individuals whether they had them or not. But the thing that made uh, Marion Young extraordinary to me was she really was what people thought she was. Uh, do you agree with that, Jim? She was a lady who had tremendous involvement with what she did. And boy, I'll tell you, that is so rare in any field of work, especially after 32 years. Uh, she was involved in her show... She was the consummate professional. She uh, she uh, would be here uh, well early in the morning. As she went on at 10.15, she'd be here early in the morning. I don't think, Marion, in all the years that she was on WOR, we used to even talk about that, ever interviewed a an author, for example, whose book she had not read. And I mean really read. She wasn't one of these people who'd, you know, take the book up uh, five minutes before the show and say, oh, for heaven's sakes, i got to think of it, and write out four questions because they open up the page, uh, page 28, and take three paragraphs out. She was certainly not like that. No way. But that's just a technical thing, really. Uh, uh, you know, she was very conscientious. What I'd like to talk about a little bit is her effect that she had on other people. Now, uh, Many, many uh, philosophers have said in the past that, uh, that the effect that people have had on other people is their true heritage to the, past, to the present and the future. 
in other words, uh, the effect, we'll say, that uh, Lincoln had on, uh, on the nation was, in a sense, more important than many of the actual deeds that he did. He, he brought a new kind of thing to the country and so on. And I would have to say, uh, certainly I mean, <laughs> the first one who would laugh would be Marion Young if you ever compared her to Lincoln. But uh, she had a curious Lincoln-esque quality, didn't she? She, she? she had a great dignity, fantastic dignity. Uh, this lady could walk into a meeting uh, where, uh, you know, all kinds of people were present, management and talent and one thing, another one. Marion walked in, you knew that the big time had arrived. Uh, she was big time, no question about it. And she was a big-time person, but the, personally, I'd like to talk about, you know, if you're interested, and I'd like to talk about something that happened to me personally, the effect she had on me. When I first came east, and, uh, you know, uh, I'd uh, worked on television and radio throughout the Midwest, and, and uh, coming east to New York uh, was like uh, suddenly uh, here I am uh, trying to swim the Atlantic Ocean, uh, it's a curiously unfeeling town, and people in the industry here in town, radio and television, are really much different than they are around the rest of the country. There's little contact between them. I may surprise you, but there really isn't much contact. Uh, I, I don't know many people who are in television or radio. Uh, I do my thing, and they do their thing. Uh, but uh, I walked in, and I did a couple of shows here. And uh, I'd only been on the air about two or three days when this happened, Jim. You may be surprised to know this. Uh, and I didn't know anybody here at all. And my work was considered extremely uh, curious. And uh, a lot of people thought it was crackpot and so on. You might you may remember those days, Jim. And uh, <laughs> that's right. It was. Uh, and so one day I was, I was doing a show. And uh, I saw somebody walk into the control room. And uh, it, was, uh, it was the first time I ever saw Marion Young. And she looks like a very official lady. You know, I might say that uh, Martha Dean was as imposing as she sounded. Uh, she was rather tall, uh, slender. Uh, she had a, a, a kind of schoolteacherish quality around her, but a schoolteacher with a curious glint in the eye. <laughs> she really was a... She had a great sense of humor. So... Uh, which did not uh, outwardly show itself uh, constantly. She wasn't the kind that went around and told bad jokes next to the water cooler. No way. So anyway, I uh, I walked uh, out of the control room. I thought it was some uh, official uh, executive or guest or something there. And she come, came up and she said, You're Gene Shepard. And I said, Yes. She says, I've heard your program. I've heard your work. She says, They probably will not understand it. She says, but it's extraordinary. And I said, they, and she pointed upstairs, meaning the management, uh, how right she was. <laughs> now, this was after about, and, and it was the first person that came up, and I said, I said, well, well, well who are you? And she says, well, I, I do a program here. She said, uh, uh, I've been here for some time, and she said, I do a program here, and I just want to let you know that I think your work is very, very excellent, and I enjoy it immensely, what I've heard of it, and she says, and I'm going to help you any time I can help you. And I said, well, gee, thanks. So at that point, I walked out, and I, I uh, walked around the control room for a while and in and out of the, the uh, offices here, and, and uh, I didn't think much about it. And then I said to somebody, I said, to say, uh, do you know who uh, 
this uh, Martha Dean is? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, Martha Dean. And I said, well, gee, uh, what does she do here? <laughs> and, of course, then I found out and I realized that she didn't pass out compliments lightly. That is a fact. And uh, so we, we began to have an interesting relationship. I started to listen to her and talk to her, and I realized that here was a lady that uh, was very reticent about herself quite often on the air. You didn't hear much about her own private life and her private past because she was far more interested in her guest as a really top-notch journalist would be than uh, she was in herself. She was, in a sense, a kind of an antithesis of the so-called new journalism. Uh, as you know, the new journalism is a concept where the reporter, in many ways, is more important than the subject he's reporting on. <laughs> and uh, he, he uh, you know, his his opinions of the whole issue are really the story. The issue itself is merely uh, a kind of, a, uh, I suppose you can say, a kind of a vehicle for the uh, ego of the reporter. This is this is in in essence what the new journalism is about. It's a kind of a restatement of McLuhan's concept that the medium is the message. Uh, and so uh, quite often you'll find commentators feel that they're much more important than the senator they're talking to. Or uh, you'll find a reviewer feels that he's more important than the book he's reviewing or the author he's writing about. Uh, certainly that's a problem with the dramatic critics who when they walk into the theater, I mean, the star has arrived. I mean, whoever up there is on the stage is merely a vehicle for his smart remarks that night when he sits down to the typewriter. So this is, this is a... And nobody's putting that down. It just happens to be a particular style. But she was quite the reverse. Very few people knew much about her. I didn't talk to her much about her own private life. And I remember one night, uh, she, she loved to have me on her show. I was on her show quite often. She liked, we worked together very well, if you recall, Jim. I don't know whether you ever heard any of our shows together, but we made a, a curiously, uh, it was an interesting team. She respected me, and I certainly respected her. And uh, we'd, we'd love to have these give and takes back and forth, and, and uh, I, I, I don't recall a time when I ever saw uh, Marion Young or Martha Dean, if you prefer that, when she wasn't in great spirits. She is a tremendously enthusiastic lady and very dignified. She wasn't the kind that just was a bubbly, ebullient type, anything but. But uh, you'd go in there and fantastically involved. She was never dull. I never saw her dull or heard her utter a dull word, and she could not stand bores. She absolutely, the one of the very rare areas of total intolerance that Marion Young had was, was for the boob, the phony, the bore, uh, the blowhard. She hated blowhards. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and, and I remember one day... Uh, this is true. She really did. And she used to call them that. She's always a blowhard. She said, what a, what a blowhard. And she'd talk about the most uh, pompous official people that way. And so one afternoon, we, we were sitting around talking about an author, a particular author who uh, shall go unnamed at this point, except to say that he's a very famous author. She says, she says I can't stand that blowhard. And I said, well, Martha, I said, that's a terrible thing to say about somebody. Marion, she says, well, let me tell you. She says, they'll catch up with him. She says, he's fooling the critics now. She says, but they'll catch up with him because he's an absolute phony. She says, he's a blowhard. And I said, well, how do you know? She says, I was 
with him ten minutes the first time I interviewed him. She said, I could tell right away. She says, he's like, like tissue paper for anyone who cares to look. She says, it's phony. Well, I kind of laughed because uh, uh, <laughs> it was a very famous character. She was anything but a toady, never, never a sycophant. And uh, most uh, interviewers, radio and television, unfortunately, are that. The bigger the name, the more they fawn. Uh, you've seen this many times. Well, she was not that way at all. In fact, it often was the reverse with her. She, she, used, to, she used to be, <laughs> the bigger the name, the more she would be sardonic. Uh, and, and unless the guy legitimately earned his big name and was a big name because of his talent or, or some honest achievement that he, had, he'd, uh, that he brought about. But a lot of people in this world today are big names because of a, of a momentary fluke, a little hit song that their uncle wrote one day, and the next thing you know, they're on everybody's lips. And, and she was aware of that. You know, she, she never was... A, incidentally, she was the scourge of the press agent in town. Uh, the press agents are constantly selling people to various interviewers to be on shows. And uh, Marion did not take the press agent handouts. No way. The guy had something to offer. He was legitimate. Uh, she was delighted to have him on the show. If he was just a, a press agent uh, property, forget it. But she was just delightful. So one day, to give you an idea of the kind of influence a person can have on another, I don't know whether, is this boring you at all? But not, not you know, I, she's, she's uh, Marion's, you know, she's gone. It's hard to believe it. Uh, she was here so long that the, it's like, uh, you know, saying that WI is changing its call sign. Or something. It would be difficult to accept, would it? By the way, this is WOR New York, the station that was privileged to have Marion Young on for 32 years. And I might also add, uh, I had, all throughout the industry, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to hear other people say it and various other radio stations, but throughout the industry, she was one of the few people who had absolutely universal respect, admiration, and I might say they were even awed by her, really, because she stood so high above the rest in the curious professionalism she had. She was not interested in showbiz, if you recall, Jim. Uh, she wasn't interested in her name in lights. Uh, she, wasn't, she was interested in, in, in doing this thing she did exceedingly well. Now, what she did... Now, I'd like to, I'd like to do a little analysis of that. What she did was curiously deceptive in its seeming simplicity on the air. If you heard her work, it sounded like she was merely having a conversation with a guest. Uh, didn't it sound that way? As if she would just throw in an occasional little comment and a laugh. But what she did was so difficult to do because the tendency for most people when they're confronted with a microphone is to overextend their own ego, is to begin to lecture their guest. <laughs> this is a real sin. Uh, I've heard many of them. Uh, the guest goes on, he t says a little thing, and the next thing you know, the interviewer is going on for 15 minutes about what he thinks. Uh, and then says, isn't that right? And the guest says, yes. Uh, Marion was quite the opposite. Now, how she got to this point was her absolute feeling of who she was. She didn't have to prove to anybody that she had intellectual qualifications. No way. In fact, they had to prove to her that they had intellectual qualifications. It was quite the reverse. 
So Marion, sitting sitting at the at the desk at the table when she was about to do her show, uh, when you'd walk in, and I'll tell you a little bit about this, how she worked. Uh, she was always in the studio well before her guest ever showed up, a long time. In other words, the guest would arrive usually about 10 o'clock in the morning. The show would be on at 10.15. Well, Marion was in the studio long before 10 o'clock in the morning, which is unusual in this business. Uh, she would be in the studio maybe a half an hour or so before the guest, sitting in there, uh, rearranging all her notes. Uh, she would be surrounded by books, uh, various books that related to this guy. If the guy was an author, she may have all of his books piled up there, which she has read, incidentally. And they're all in various piles, all up and down, so she knows where they all are. Each one had little pieces of paper sticking out of it, specific things she wanted to ask him about. Uh, and she would have them all numbered, all, all laid out before her like some kind of a game or something, like, like, like some kind of, it had order, you see. And then in front of her, she would have her commercials, her what she called her shopping list, if you recall. She always used that phrase. It's time now for our, our shopping list, and she would take time off. And when she would do her, her commercials, of course, the guest would sit back and uh, have, a, have a cup of coffee. She always had coffee for her guests. There was always coffee there in the morning, usually a little Danish if they wanted it. But there was always hot coffee. She loved hot coffee herself, if you recall. She... She drank uh, black coffee when she worked, and uh, and uh, she uh, she was completely at ease. Uh, she, you walk into her studio, and there she is. This was her place. I mean, it was her thing, and uh, you didn't see any fidgeting. And you knew when she went on the air, when she would say, "Good morning, this is Martha Dean." You know, it's ten o'clock, and it's my well. Uh, you knew that she had taken over. It was her her forty-five minutes. Well, then. Uh, the subtle interplay between her body. Now, this is what was so important. You didn't get this on the air. Why Marion, one of the reasons why Marion could get so much out of a guest, was her personal bodily actions in the studio, which you never saw. Now, I'll give you, in a sense, by contrast, what many interviewers on the radio, and, and many of them even on television do, uh, when the guest is talking and answering something, quite often they will be looking everywhere but at the guest. They'll be looking at a book or, or they'll pick up a phone and they'll, they'll talk to the control room. You've seen this many times, thousands of times, Jim. No, and the guest is just sitting there blabbing away. He feels like, well, what am I supposed to do here? The interviewer is not really interested in me. He's doing a show. That's what he's doing. <laughs> and and uh, I'm supposed to fill time now while he's talking to the to the uh, producer in there. I've seen interviewers, while a guest, he'll ask a question or she'll ask a question of the of the guest. Like, uh, well, now, what did you mean on page 7 where you said uh, the end of the world is four years away? And the guest says, well, uh, uh, what I meant by that was... And, the, and I've seen the interviewer actually get up, walk out of the studio then. And go uh, get a cup of coffee or something. Really, I've seen that happen. Or go into the control room, and the guest is sitting there. That uh, that would be inconceivable to Marion Young. <laughs> inconceivable. Because Marion Young, with Marion, the microphone didn't exist. She was talking to this person that was with her. And uh, she did it with extreme artfulness. Uh, very interesting, underplaying, subtly. I'm talking technically here. Her underplaying was beautiful. 
and her reactions to what the guest would say were always very obvious, and not many times not even to the audience, but to the guest. So she would say something, and this look of astonishment would come across Mary and say, what? You know, she wouldn't say anything. What do you mean by that? You know. And then the guest would say, well, I'll tell you what I mean. He'd go on and on. Or else she'd say, oh, no, she'd laugh. Uh, or she'd say, oh, come on. You, 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 re- you really mean that? Now, all... Come on. You, 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 re- you really mean that? Now, all of this without words. I'm trying to say she did this with her face. You saw it. You've seen her many times, Jim. So the guest, of course, when he's in there, is is really involved in her. He's forgotten the microphone by now, too, because he's with an extremely reactive person who not only knows what he's all about, but has the intellectual capacity to quite probably top him. <laughs> so he, she was uh, a worthy adversary to anybody that walked into the studio. Uh, you know, it was like uh, Muhammad Ali walking in, the, and there's George Foreman sitting at the other uh, the other end of the... the, the other end of the, uh, the net there. He's not going to He's not gonna laugh. He's going to work. So uh, the, the interviewers always, it was a challenge to be on her show. You had to be with it. And, uh, she, uh, and she, brought, she brought many people. I'd heard many, many interviewees who had been on other shows. I mean, the big, important TV talk shows that came across like sticks. Uh, when they walked in and sat down with Marion Young, all of a sudden... They came across like what they really were. They were really important, interesting people, and they were turned on fantastically. She had a great respect, incidentally, from politicians because she was very fair. Uh, Marion's instincts were all in the right place. She was a, she was an extremely liberal person. Uh, she hated racial prejudices. Uh, she disliked uh, any kind of, uh, of hypocrisy of that kind. And it was authentic with me. She was not one of these liberals that went around with the thing, you know, on her on her sleeve. I am a liberal, you know, <laughs> uh, who prefaced everything she said with the. As a liberal, of course, I would like to say, no way. She just simply was liberal. So she didn't. She wasn't a liberal. She was liberal. So uh, politicians had great respect for her. She was honest, and uh, more than that, she made them be honest, and uh, they liked that. That is the honest ones. There <laughs> were a lot of them who, who were very afraid because she wasn't an attacker. In a way, she, she didn't attack. She just let the guy destroy himself if he was a, if he was a tin horn or a phony. But uh, for that reason, they were a little afraid of her. And on the other hand, those who were what they were uh, just absolutely, uh, absolutely enjoyed her. You know who she used to get a call from every couple of days? Funny. Because uh, uh, he, he used to listen to the show all the time was the, the late Michael Quill. Do you remember Michael Quill, the, the famous uh, Irish... Uh, he used to use the great Irish accent. He was the head of the transport workers, I believe. And, and uh, I, would, uh, I would be finished with a show with her. You know, often we'd be on the air together and we'd finish and, uh, and uh, the phone would ring. And she'd start to laugh. She'd say, oh, come on now. She says, you can stop that Irish brogue with me, you know. <laughs> she, uh, and then you'd hear this, this. He had a very loud voice on the phone. She says, now, come on, Michael. She says, for heaven's sake. She says, I could put on an Irish brogue, too. And then they'd go back and forth. And so she had great uh, great respect among important people, calling them. Uh, they'd talk to her. They'd ask her advice quite often. She'd very quietly give it to them and uh, go her way, never talk about it. But I'd like to say something personally about her, though, what she did to me one time. 
She, she actually changed my career in a very important way. Uh, but before we do that, let's get a, she, as she would say, it's time for our shopping list. <laughs> and do you have one in there for us, Jim? Michael, you're not eating. What's the matter? I'm saving myself, Mom, for the wine and cheese festival at the New York Coliseum. Well, that's very nice. The first annual wine and cheese festival. Yeah, the new, by the way, one of the things that Marion loved was I used to do a little takeoff on her all the time once in a while on my shows. I would say, yes, the first annual wine and cheese festival. <laughs> and she loved that. She used to say, you know, you ought to come in. She said, I'm, I'm thinking of using you as my replacement uh, when I uh, take a vacation. But uh, the first annual wine and cheese festival at the New York Coliseum from uh, tomorrow through Sunday, December 16th. And the uh, doors are open from 1 p.m. to 10 p.m. And the tickets are only three and a half. That's been a big success. Heard a lot about that. I've got to get over there and see that. And uh, this, incidentally, was another thing that Marion was involved in for all of the 32 years she was here. And uh, she really, uh, really was involved and used to do a great deal of work for. And that's the WOR Children's Christmas Fund. Uh, She believed in it. And if any of you are old uh, Marion Young or Martha Dean fans, it would be kind of nice if you send a little check to the WOR Children's Christmas Fund in her name. Uh, I think that would be a very nice thing to do. Nice suggestion. But nevertheless, if you would like to take part in the uh, WOR Children's Christmas Fund, uh, you can send a dime or a quarter or whatever you'd care to send. Incidentally, this is a charity, and uh, all the people who are work, working in it have been doing it for years. And what it consists of is that they give toys to children who are in the hospitals, uh, poor children who are in hospitals throughout the New York area during the time of Christmas. And they have nobody to give them gifts, so W.O.R. is over there. And these are nice gifts, by the way. So if you'd like to take part in this, uh, you can send a check or money order to the W.O.R. Children's Christmas Fund. Kind of nice if you made it out to, you know, uh, sort of uh, in her name, Marion Young or Martha. She'd love it. Box 710, Times Square Station, New York, 10036. Jim pointed out something interesting. She was married to a very imposing, uh, dignified gentleman. Uh, the kind of guy you would think she would be married to, Bill Taylor, who is a retired uh, advertising executive, important man here in town. And her children, by the way, loved her. Uh, I, I knew her her, uh, her kids, and they, they really adored her. She was very, she just had a great dignity and a great warmth about her. Now, one day, I'll, I'll tell you how she really, uh, really changed my career. And I don't think, uh, and I know I've not told this to anybody, but it happens to be an absolute truth. We used to talk about it many, many times after it happened. One night, I got a call here after I told the story on the air. This is the kind of person she was. She was very, very interested in other people's work. And uh, one night, this was late at night, she stayed up late at night, by the way, many, many times. The reason she lived in a hotel here in New York was because she wanted to be close to the station because she spent so much time working. Uh, you'd think that a 45-minute interview show, most people think, well, you know, she comes in for 45 minutes, and gee, she has the rest of the day. No way. She read on an average of two to three books a day, and I mean read them. She really did. <laughs> That's hard to believe. And I'm not talking about little uh, mystery stories. She'd read the most involved a book about the foreign relationships and come back with absolute knowledge of it. Uh, and and uh, she used to get up uh, quite often at 4 and 5 in the morning 
uh, to read, to finish some material she wanted to read for her 1015 program. Now, uh, that's, that is care. And I used to ask her, I'd say, well, why do you do that? Everybody else, you know, kind of fluffs it up. They get a few questions. She says, look, she says, a, 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 a man, a person has, has spent maybe five, ten years of their life writing this, pe- this piece of material, and I owe it to them to at least see what he had to say and read it all the way through. She says, I wouldn't have him on the program if I didn't do that. I owe that to them. She says, I, I would, I would, uh, it would hurt my conscience not to read the book. And she was that kind. She meant it, she did it, and she never talked like this on the air. I'm telling you off the air the way she was. Now, another thing she did that, that uh, with me personally, one day I got a call. I want to finish the story, and uh, I finished a show. I had told a story on the air, and uh, the phone rang, and uh, Marion was on the phone. It was 11 o'clock, 11.15, maybe midnight, and she says, Jean, I said, yes, uh, what are you doing up? She says, well, I'm reading, I'm working here, and she says, I have the radio here on, and I was listening to that story you told. She says, that was a marvelous story, and I said, well, thank you. She says, how would you like to come in on, on my program, uh, say, next Wednesday? And I said, fine. She said, well, there's something I want to talk to you about. And I said, good. I thought maybe she'd heard a rumor or something upstairs, you know. So, sure enough, Wednesday morning, I arrived in there, and we did a great show, and after the show, she says, no, I want you to sit down. I want you to listen to me. She says, I'm, I've been around a long time, she says, and I've been many places. Now, by that time, I'd known her very well, and I knew that she had done exactly that. Matter of fact, you know, among her personal friends was uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, for example. Did you know that she knew Fitzgerald? She knew Mencken. Uh, these are things she never talked much about, but she told me one story one time about a week she spent in F. Scott Fitzgerald's house in Baltimore when she came up there one time to do a story on him, and he was having trouble drinking. And they, oh, she told a wild story about Fitzgerald. By the way, that's another thing. Marion Young, or Martha Dean, had a, had a great bawdy sense of humor. Uh, bawdy is the word. Uh, she could tell a racy story with the best of them. <laughs> you, you heard her. <laughs> well, all right. And what was what was so great coming from such a dignified lady? It made it even funnier. She would tell a fantastic story. Tell an absolute straight face. You know, your face had turned five different shades of red, and then she'd laugh because you were embarrassed. So that was that was Marion. But anyway, she said uh, after the show, she said, "Now you sit down." She says, "Now I want you to listen to me." She says, "No, no." Uh, she says, I, "I've listened to you," and she says, "Now I have something to." to say to you, and it's important. I said, well, what is it? She says, you're... Uh, I hope you don't misunderstand this. I'm just telling you what Marion Young told me. I'm repeating what she said about myself. She may have been wrong, but this is what she said. She says, you are an extraordinary storyteller. And I said, well, thank you, Marion. Uh, she says, but now listen. She says, you're a born writer. She said, and... I want to see you start writing. She says, I insist on you writing. She says, I don't want you to just dissipate your work, tell your stories on the radio or on television, and then they will never be in libraries and there will be people. She says, someday you may not be here and people will want to hear your stories and read them. She says, what if Mark Twain had only told his stories in a bar? 
She says, you have to write. You are a born writer. She says, I've read some things you've written for the Village Voice. And she says, you have to write. And I says, oh, come on. You know, people hate to face a, a, a thing that they're not doing. I says, oh, come on, Mary. Gee, you know, wow. She says, I'm sorry. She says, you're going to have to write. And I said, well, gee, uh, well, she says, all right. She says, I'm going to do something about it. It's <laughs> the kind of lady she was. She says, you have to write. She says, and I'm going to see that you do. Well, I went, I went uh, down, uh, downstairs at that point. I, I said, well, i got to go down for breakfast, man. She says, well, I'm going to go to work on it. She says, no, you're, you're, I'm not going to let you off the hook. And uh, so a couple of hours later, I came back, and it was a call from me from an unknown name uh, that was given to me by one of the secretaries here. So there's a call here from this man. This is quite important. So I called the, call, the, the name. It turned out to be an editor at Doubleday. And he says, I've been talking to Miss Young. And he said, I want to talk to you about writing. He said, and I, and I, want, to, I want to talk to you seriously about, about work, about writing. And it was at that point, I, I, I was kind of backed into a corner, you know. <laughs> so at that point, I said, well, gee, sure. So we had a meeting. And from that time on, I thought of myself as writing, and I did write. And, and uh, I remember when my first book came out, In God We Trust, All of Us Pay Cash, uh, I went in to, to give the first copy, one of the first copies that arrived, I gave to Marion. And Marion was so thrilled. And, and, and she said, she says, you know, she says, I feel like I've just given birth again to something. She says, <laughs> this is the way she talks. She says, by George, she says, I haven't been pregnant for years. And I said, Marion, please. Uh, she, she was laughing and uh, so she read, and she loved that book, by the way. She used to interview me many times over afterwards about it. And uh, so she had a profound effect on my career. And from that minute on, whenever I would meet her in the hall, she'd say, Aha, she says, I read that last story in Playboy. She says, You're really, you're really beginning to make it move. And I'd say, Well, thank you very much. Because she was a good, good judge of words. A very fine literary critic. She really was. She was instinctive and honest, and she was not part of the so-called literary mafia. What was fashionable never impressed her. She was never impressed by the fashionable junk, you know? What was in didn't bother her. She was interested in what was good. So uh, the last time I saw her uh, professionally, really, because we met many times in the hall, we'd see each other down in the, the restaurant downstairs and around. But the last time I met her in the hall was... Uh, after the publication of uh, the Ferrari in the Bedroom, which was is my last book, and she interviewed me on it. She always loved to interview me. She says uh, she because she felt so involved in my work, and she liked it so much that uh, she said that anything I can do uh, that I want people to know about it. This is the way she felt. She did not put me on the air because I was a friend of hers. No way. You know better than that, Jim. And anyone who knows Marion Young or Martha Dean knows that for a fact. She was a hard critic. So after Ferrari, uh, we sat down, uh, went downstairs and had coffee for a long time. And I, I had a feeling that time, that's been about a year ago, that she was vaguely aware that uh, that something was happening to her. You know, you, you get that slight, slight feeling. There was a curious uh, kind of, not resignation, she never had that. She was not a resigned type person, but a kind of curious 
philosophical wistfulness is about all I can say about it. She said, you know, she says, I'm really pleased uh, that I got you writing. She said that downstairs in, in the restaurant down below here. And it was like all of a sudden it was, you know, in the past again. And I says, well, you know, I've been writing for a long time now, Marion, and you got me started. And she says, well, I'm really pleased. She says, I, I, I feel that I've accomplished something that I'm pleased about. And I said, well, I, I want to thank you, too. And uh, we sort of sat and looked around, and, and uh, she says uh, something about, uh, we talked a little bit about the station and things and about how things change and things don't change. They remain the same, and yet they change all the time. And uh, I left her and came back upstairs. Well, I began to think about her at that time, and I, I began to realize a lot of things about Marion Young that I hadn't thought really much about up to that point. One of them was that uh, she was an integral part of this town. You know, there's not many people who can honestly say that. Uh, Martha Dean, or Marion Young, was like uh, an integral part of New York history, really. I don't, I'd like to know how many million people listened to her over the 32 years she was on, heard her, and knew about her. It would be staggering, wouldn't it? Fantastic. Uh, and incidentally, uh, her relationship with her clients was always interesting. Uh, the people who were the clients on her radio shows uh, were always in awe of her. <laughs> oh, they were, they were, you know, they, at no point did anybody call up Marion Young and say, Hey, what'd you do on that commercial? No way. Uh, Marion Young uh, had such great uh, dignity and, and uh, presence and weight. That, uh, that her sponsors, the people who were, as she called them, her clients, uh, her clients uh, always treated her with very, very uh, kid-gloved hands. <laughs> and uh, they were always grateful. For, and it's, uh, by the way, that's another thing that, that I don't think many people have pointed out. She was phenomenally successful as a saleswoman and only took products that she really felt were worthy of her program. And she turned down many of them in her time, and we talked about them. Uh, she was a great saleswoman, and, had, and uh, many, many people uh, did what she said. She had that kind of uh, honesty and, and uh, body on her show. You know, uh, I, and I remember always watching Dick Willard. Dick, you know, worked with her. I don't know, how many years did Dick work with her? He must have worked with her for most of the 32 years. Now, uh, Dick Willard uh, is an ex-singer. How many people know that? That Dick Willard, when he began his uh, career in showbiz, was a was a singer, you know, a powerful voice, operatic type, and and uh, you know, a more naughty Marietta type, uh, you know, a Nelson Eddy type, and, and so uh, once in a while she'd sit. I remember one morning, some time ago, uh, Dick would sit over in the corner there and with his stopwatch and his pile of uh, little commercials in front of him and all. And uh, he had great respect for, oh, boy, they, they had a great team, those two. See, Dick, Dick looks a little Dickensian. Uh, he's right out of, uh, out of uh, the Pickwick papers or something. Yeah, yeah, hey, doesn't he? You, you dress him in a frock coat and give him a tall silk hat, and he could stand right there with, with Mr. Micawber and all the rest of them, say, Mr. Pickwick. Yes, doesn't he have that Dickensian quality? Hey, he's another elegant type. When you stepped into that studio in the morning in between Dick Willard and Mary and Young, you were there with the big leaguers. And, uh, you know, they were just, they were there. They, they belonged there. 
And so one morning, <laughs> she said to she said to Dick after the show, I don't know what got into her, but Dick was sitting over there looking particularly uh, uh, look, uh, tenorish or something. And she says, uh, Dick, she says, Dick. And Dick says, yes, Marion. And how he goes, Marion. And she says, Dick, would you please sing a note for us? And he says, why, I'd be glad to. He says, hello. She says, isn't that beautiful? She says, some morning I'm going to have him sing on the program. <laughs> and he laughed. He says, oh, I'd be glad to. And so the two of them, you know, had this kind of working relationship. It was great. But nevertheless, uh, I, I, uh, I am firmly convinced that we will never again see the like of, of Marion Young. You noticed with what great respect the newspapers treated her. Fantastic respect. The, the Times. Uh, the, there was a nice piece in the Post about her and in the news. Uh, the other radio stations talked about her. I heard, I first heard of her death on another radio station. I happened to be in a car. And is that where you heard it, Jerry, too? In fact, I was in a, in a cab. And it was a shock to me. I was sitting in the back of the cab, and the guy had a radio on, and I heard the death of Marion Young. I thought, oh, you know... One of the really greats have passed. A lovely, lovely lady. And uh, I think that uh, uh, that we won't see to her kind any longer because she is of another another era. She was of an era when, when the journalist uh, worked. I mean, fantastic work at what he did. Uh, she had great... Uh, and, and this was another... One of the most interesting things about her, she had uh, the ego of a person who knows what they are, I shouldn't say ego. I should say the self-confidence. But at the same time, she was totally without ego. Uh, when she was in front of the microphone, the guest was what it was about. And, uh, of course, for that reason, she came through as a giant. <laughs> if you listen to her long enough, you realize that the guests were privileged to be on her show. We won't see her kind again, ever. I don't think so. Because she came out, as I said, of another time. And uh, the world is different. And I think a lot poorer for uh, the loss of the Marion Youngs and Martha Deans. But she lived a long, exciting life. Uh, I don't think she was ever bored a minute in her life. She was that kind of person. And, uh, and I, I uh, you know, uh, I uh, leave her with regrets and yet no regrets because she lived a rich, full life. And everybody who ever knew her admired her and will never forget her. Personally, I won't. So uh, I hope I haven't, uh, you know, bored you too much. And remember, I want you to, to remember one thing. This was not just a person talking about a friend. Uh, this was a professional. I am a professional, if nothing else. And talking about another professional of a very rare kind, an extremely rare kind. And there is not a radio station in the country that didn't know of, of Marion Young or Martha Dean. She, she was known all over the country, uh, and, and known for one thing. She was known for, for being uh, such an extremely meticulous, uh, probing reporter that uh, almost everybody in the industry at one time or another had been compared with her. That's very interesting, to be the kind of person who is used as a standard. And she was a standard for people off the air and on the air. Hail and farewell, Martha. It was good knowing you.
WOR New York. Stay tuned for Nightbeat.